I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After four decades, Greater Manchester's buses have finally come back into local control. But what does this mean for the future of our public transport system? Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and this is Reasons Revisited. It's a weekly, fun-sized reason to be cheerful. We dig back into our five-year audio archive and brief you on a big idea that's having a moment. This week, we're talking about buses and how we can bring them back into public control. Last Sunday morning at half past four, the first yellow and black B-network bus pulled into Farmworth Bus Station. After years of negotiations, Greater Manchester is making history, as it's the first region outside London to take control of its buses and launch its own regulated bus network, the B Network. Outside of London, our buses are in a sorry state. Services are mainly operated by private companies. Bus fares in the UK have nearly doubled in real terms since 1987, and years of austerity have meant that local government funding for buses has almost halved. Bus usage declined sharply during the pandemic and hasn't really recovered. And if our buses aren't affordable, reliable or going where we want them to, why would people get back onto them? The 2017 Bus Services Act gave local authorities in England the ability to take control of the bus network, with similar legislation in Scotland too. Andy Burnham was the first mayor to use these powers and put an end to the wild west that Manchester has become, with almost 40 bus companies running services in the region. Is this the first step to massively improving the bus network outside of London? Here's where we're starting from. Buses form the backbone of our public transport network. In 2021, 69% of public transport journeys in Britain were made by bus. Funding cuts have meant that local bus services have been in decline for years. In the 10 years up to 2021, bus service provision across England declined by 27%. There's also been a long-term fall in the number of people using buses too. Buses were deregulated in 1986 everywhere except in London. Companies are forbidden by competition law from working together to coordinate schedules and routes. Outside of the capital, it is a free market and anyone can start a bus company if they want to. What would it take for the rest of Britain to move towards a regulated model? Back in February of 2018, we climbed aboard the number 73 and spoke to transport expert Nicole Badstuber. As she tells us, with plenty of authentic bus sounds in the background, London's bus system is poles apart from the rest of the country, mainly because of our unique history of bus deregulation. Outside London, it's in a pretty bad way, isn't it? I think 
we've lost thousands of routes yeah. in the last. So in the last years. ten years, we've lost 134 million miles of bus coverage. Wow! Um, and it's wild to me that it's not just the case that the local authorities say we need a bus to go from here to here. Who wants to who wants to run it? That's not how it works. No. So um, outside of London, we have a deregulated and privatised market. So what does that mean? So basically, it means that the government isn't deciding. Oh, we should have a bus along here running at this frequency along certain times. Um, instead, you have these private companies who decide where they want to run buses and when. And they give 56 days notice for when they want to run a bus service or stop running a bus service. And, and that's basically it. Um, and so it's a system that was introduced in the 1980s. Um, so up until then, you had 50 years in which you had a, basically the same sort of setup. You had mainly public um, companies running the bus services. Um, they would run them in network basis. Um, and that was all based on the Act of 1930, the Road Traffic Act. However, in those 50 years, the bus landscape changed quite a lot. So between the 1960s and 80s, passenger numbers halved. Um, and that was mainly due to the increase of private car usage. So the idea then in the 80s was, well, this doesn't really seem to be working. We don't have enough passengers. So fares aren't really covering the costs and subsidies have to go up. So the Conservative government at the time decided that they should let the private sector decide where they'd want to run buses. They thought this would reduce subsidy levels and also mean that it was more innovative and more agile to adapt to where passengers wanted to go and what they wanted to do. But it hasn't worked like that? Not really, no. But tell us about London, Nicole, because London is, we're obviously in London on 73 bus. Um, It's a different system, isn't it? Yes. So in London, they didn't deregulate the market. So um, the London government retained some control over what buses would be going where and when. So you still have the private sector involved, but rather than there being competition in the market, so different buses turning up at the same bus stop, you have competition for the market. Does it work better, and if so, why? Yeah, so I think there is consensus that this system seems to work better, and that is also consensus at the government level. So why does it work better? Basically because you have the efficiencies of running a network. So you have someone who can decide that um, this is where we'd like to run buses, this is provide a better coverage, um, and we have a more even coverage. So rather than various bus companies competing on the same stretch of road, um, you can get those companies to run various routes. Um, also, it works better for the passenger because they have an integrated setup for their perspective you just use your oyster card or your contactless card and you can use a whole range of services as nicole said there moving back to a model of local control will hopefully make bus networks more efficient and there will no longer be an incentive for private companies to just run the most profit-making routes that's something that was echoed when we spoke to king of the north himself andy burnham mayor of greater manchester Fresh from his mayoral election victory in 2021, he told us about his ambitions to make history by regulating the region's bus system. The simplest way of describing it, Ed, is for 35 years, the bus companies have decided where they go and what they charge. So you get that situation of Oxford Road, buses nose to tail, can't move for queues of buses, but then in a more isolated estate, nothing at all. So the simple change is we decide where buses go and we decide what buses charge. And this isn't just about buses, actually, because when you can set the fare structure, you can then integrate buses with Metrolink, our tram system, and then you can have that London-style principle across the system where people can catch a bus and a tram and it only be one 
paid for as one journey. Whereas at the moment, if you are travelling on a bus and you get off and you get on a tram, you pay again as a new customer. So the cost of public transport just racks up here. And as I say, way more expensive than London. So, so look, you've been working on these plans for a number of years. How difficult has it been to get to this stage? It's been a very long journey for Greater Manchester. So in the negotiations over devolution, Ed, George Osborne's big ask was he wanted a mayor for Greater Manchester. And the big ask from Greater Manchester was, we want the power to re-regulate the buses. And basically they did the devolution deal on that. You know, you take the mayor... Uh, and if you do, I'll give you the power to re-regulate the buses. The leaders of Greater Manchester are very fond of telling me that my only function in life is to re-regulate the buses because that's why they accepted a mayor of Greater Manchester. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I know what's required of me and we've worked very, very hard to get to this point. Um, and to be clear, Andy, it will still be private companies running the buses, but you'll be controlling the routes, the service, the fares and so on. So, yes, that's right, Ed. It's public control rather than public ownership, because the Bus Services Act ruled out public ownership. But I think there will come a moment, won't there, where bus companies won't step forward to run services in certain areas, and I think they'll have to open up, I believe, to to public ownership or not-for-profit ownership. I think there is now a general recognition that the free-for-all in transport just does not work whatsoever, and, um, you know, there's a line been drawn under, under that, and not a moment too soon. Still to come... Will other regions follow the example set by Greater Manchester? As Andy mentioned there, the 2017 Bus Services Act gave local authorities in England more power to take control of their bus networks. Another significant change since we spoke to Andy is that the government has intervened and capped single bus fares in England at £2, a scheme that's running until the end of October 2023. But what can we learn from the rest of the world, especially when it comes to serving potentially isolated rural communities? Ian Taylor gave us a vision of what our future public transport systems could look like back in 2021. What can we learn from other countries about how you build an affordable and comprehensive system? Germany, Switzerland, I'm interested in the Dunkirk example where they've made bus services free. Um, to make our mouths water with the kind of sense about what our bus services could look like if we were willing to have the sort of resources and, uh, and commitment to it. We have lost the vision that is taken for granted in many European places that you should have a public transport system which is almost part of the sort of richness of life, part of the planning of your city. The Swiss public transport system is probably the world-leading example. In fact, in most of Switzerland, if you're a small village of over 300 people, you are in law entitled for bus service every hour. In fact, Bergamiecha, which is in the middle of nowhere, it has a service every half an hour from half five in the morning until midnight, every day of the year, including weekends and bank holidays. In Britain, we don't have bus services in most rural places on Sundays or in the evenings. It's a completely different world. If you're in Switzerland, what can you do? You will probably buy a public transport season that covers not just your local buses or your your train journey to work. It covers every bit of public transport in Switzerland, and it's worth buying that. I haven't yet come to (laughs) the business of free public transport. And, of course, it sounds, doesn't it, absolutely mad. But loads of places have have done it. This isn't kind of one cranky idea in one town that's about to go bankrupt. There's 100 plus places um, around the world that are doing free public transport. You could go to a whole country now that's got free public transport. Luxembourg decided earlier 
in 2020, it would have completely free public transport. Dunkirk is a fascinating example, city of about 200,000 people. They looked at this and thought, if we invest in free buses, this is going to be economically good. It's going to be part of our plan for economic regeneration. There are 30-odd places in the United States, the supposed world centre of capitalism, which actually have free buses. Ian Taylor there, telling us about Switzerland's world-class public transport network and some other parts of the world that have made their networks free of charge. Is Greater Manchester's B network something that we could start seeing elsewhere in Britain? The B network is a franchise system, so while private companies will operate the buses, the mayor can decide how much fares cost and where the buses will run. Sunday was the first milestone in that journey, with buses running in Wigan, Bolton, Salford, parts of Bury and a bit of Manchester. B-network buses will be rolled out in the whole of Greater Manchester by 2025. A total of 175 services are due to go live, and 50 new electric buses are operating, with several hundred more to be delivered over the coming years. Services will start earlier and end later in the evening, and will be better integrated with trains and the tram network. If you're travelling on the tram and the bus, your ticket will be 20% cheaper than before. Local campaign groups such as Better Buses for Greater Manchester have played a huge role in holding the mayor's feet to the fire and making the case for regulating the bus network over the years. It's been a priority of Burnham's ever since he was elected as mayor and since then there have been two public consultations and a judicial review. It's not been easy, but Greater Manchester has genuinely made history by taking its buses back into public control. So where does this go next? Other regions are starting to look into how to make this a reality in their area. Residents in the Liverpool city region are being consulted on plans to reform buses and a similar franchising model to Manchester's has been deemed the preferred option in West Yorkshire. But it's expensive. It's estimated to have cost Greater Manchester £135 million and many regions are worried that bus companies will launch legal action against them. But we shouldn't forget that buses will be central in getting the country to net zero too. One double-decker bus can take 75 cars off the road, and many places are starting to replace their fleets with zero-emission buses. There's a huge amount to be done to help people reduce their reliance on cars, and a bus network that's more reliable and affordable is surely an ideal first step. Cheerful nuggets to take away? Number one. Buses are at the heart of a well-functioning public transport network. They provide connections between people and their work and essential services, and they're vital for social inclusion too, especially for those in rural areas, disabled people and the less well-off. Two, regulating the buses makes economic sense. Statistics from KPMG show that every £1 invested in bus services could bring economic returns of £4.50. Bus services make sure that more people can access jobs and training opportunities, as well as providing wider benefits like decongestion, cleaner air and noise reduction. This could save local authorities and government money in the long run. And three, public control of the buses could be a game-changer. The launch of the B-Network means Transport for Greater Manchester can now set the fares it wants, introduce a daily cap and coordinate its timetable. It can also subsidise less busy routes that the private sector would otherwise not find profitable. I'll be back with Ed on Monday for a brand new episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. We would love to hear from you. Find us on social media or through our website, cheerfulpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Lloyd and written and produced by Rachel Barmer. This has been Reasons Revisited. Reasons Revisited.